We had hoped. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We had hoped. It means that at one point we had hope of something, but now that hope is gone. A disciple named Cleopas says, ironically, to Jesus himself while walking on the road from Jerusalem to this little village called Emmaus. But we had hoped that he, being Jesus, was the one to redeem Israel. We thought Jesus would rescue Israel, would set us free from the Romans, and set up God's kingdom once again. But we don't hope for that any longer, because we saw him die, crucified even. Have you ever lost hope? Like despair set in, you felt like the darkness would never break. Or maybe you're at a point in life where your once hopeful optimism has now been replaced by a jaded cynicism that believes there are no happy endings. As you look around, hope seems in short supply these days, doesn't it? Especially among young people. It seems like every couple days there's a new study coming out telling us how depressed teens are, how much they're struggling with anxiety and a general sense of hopelessness. It almost makes parents long for the good old days when we worried about teenagers having sex, getting pregnant, and being into rock and roll music, possibly even doing drugs. Now it seems we worry about them living in total isolation and harming themselves. If you do a quick Google search, you'd be blown away by the amount of recent artwork that has the title Hopeless or Hopelessness. There's a little smattering of it. But the story of the Bible is a story that is filled with hope. And on Resurrection Sunday, it is on full display for all of us if we would but see it. Luke 24 teaches us many things, but chief among them is this. Because of the resurrection, life is never hopeless. Let me tell you that again so you don't miss it. If you miss everything else today, because of the resurrection of Jesus, life is never hopeless. Would you pray with me and we'll read it together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to read your word and to let it read us. God, some of us here today are are living with a fair amount of despair. Maybe anxiety is right around every single corner. God, maybe even some people here have lost the will to even live. Would you, by your spirit, fill us with hope this morning that is grounded in the confident hope of the resurrection of Jesus? God, would you speak through me or in spite of me, but speak to everyone here this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. This is right after where Pastor Mike ended and the story picks up. On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You're not from around here, are you? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, 
And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening that the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were there with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what they had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What a story, right? Can you even imagine being so utterly dis disappointed one moment, only to meet this guy and have your heart burn within you the next as you realize that the very man that you're talking to is in fact Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that you witnessed die but is now alive. You, you could better believe that from that moment on, your life is never going to be the same, is it? Now, some of you are here this morning and you think, that's a beautiful story. Inspirational even. But come on, not true. No, it is true. That's what makes it so beautiful and full of hope. I love how honest and unsentimental the Bible is sometimes. It says in as plain a language as you can possibly say, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, there is no Christianity the Apostle Paul writes a few years later to the Corinthian church this in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What Paul says is if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are actually without hope. Our faith is futile, means it's powerless. It doesn't do us any good. We're still in our sins. The power of sin has been broken over us. If the resurrection didn't happen, he goes on, we actually should be pitied because we're suffering for no reason and we're believing a lie that doesn't actually give us any hope in which to ground our hope on. But the resurrection is true. And because of that, we sit here today not filled with despair, but filled with hope. Now, if you don't believe that story, then I, I would challenge you to spend a little time investigating the history. Look into it. 
Look into the story of the empty tomb and see how else it might have gone down the way that it did. But I would warn you, if you venture on this journey, especially if your goal is to disprove that this resurrection thing ever happened, most of the people who go on that journey end up as Christians. Because it's one of the most verifiable facts in ancient history. One man even wrote a book about it. And then it later became a movie that he helped produce. His name's Lee Strobel, and his book is called The Case for Christ. The movie's good as well for non-readers. Because the resurrection is true, it actually grounds our hope in something objective. Now, we read at the beginning of the story, or at the beginning of the service, that the, the empty tomb had already been discovered. But it's pretty obvious from the story that these two disciples don't believe it. Why? Because they left. They left Jerusalem and they went to, the, to Emmaus. In fact, they say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That means that they didn't believe the women and their story. Actually, one of the great grounding truths that the gospel story happened the way that it did is because it has women first discovered the resurrected empty tomb. Now, you're thinking, that doesn't make sense at all. Until you understand that in their culture, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. Their, their, their testimony was not admissible in a court of law. And so there would have been no good reason to fabricate the story this way. In fact, it would have hurt the credibility of the eyewitness account of the resurrection because women weren't considered credible witnesses. It's pretty sexist, isn't it? Why would you write it then this way? Well, you would write it this way if you felt honor-bound to tell it as it actually happened. And isn't it amazing that the most cataclysmic event in human history, God says, I'm going to have women discover it just to show you, to turn the tables again. It's beautiful. But Jesus comes up to them, and he's like, why are you guys sad? And they're like, are, are, are you kidding? Are you the only one here who hasn't heard about the things that have happened in the last few days? About Jesus, the prophet, and the miracle worker, the one that was killed by the religious leaders? Now, even there, you begin to see that they're starting to back off their claims about Jesus, aren't they? Jesus, the prophet, and the miracle worker. Notice they don't say Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior, because in their heart of hearts, I don't think they actually believe that anymore. Because how could the Messiah be crucified? How could he be dead? We had hoped that he was the one to rescue us and save us from the Romans. Moreover, he says in verse 22, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who told, who told them that he was alive. Some of those who went with us to the tomb found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Notice they are not in a spot of faith. They are saying, we had hoped that he was the one, but now we know he's not. Often when the Bible stories include details that maybe aren't essential to the narrative, we should pay attention. Now, there's so many things in the Bible that you wish there were more details on, don't you? But, but often this ancient scripture wasn't written so that we could actually see and capture the entire scene. It, it told us the things that we needed to know. We're told that these disciples are on the road to a little village named Emmaus. And then that they say about Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, as we've been journeying through the biblical story in this Thread Sermon series, um, in the story of the Bible, where, where's the concept of redemption or rescue from slavery derived from? 
the books of Moses, right? The Exodus, where God redeemed his people from Egypt out of slavery. He crushed Pharaoh and he set them free. God redeems his people. And they have that in the back of their their minds, this this narrative that God is going to set us free. And so when Cleopas says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, it's not Egypt in his mind, but rather Rome. We thought he was going to set us free from the Romans, to, to let us experience freedom and to thrive once again as an independent people. And here's where the stories, the details of the story get really, really cool. 150 years before Jesus came, there was a, 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 ba- a battle fought between the Jewish army and the Seleucid or the Greek army. And at the head of the, the Jewish army was a guy by the name of Judas Maccabees. He actually led the people into their independence. He was the one who, who rode into Jerusalem on a horse to the shouts of Hosanna among the people. And, and on that particular day, as he's fighting against this um, Greek general by the name of Gorgias or Georgius, this same Judas um, says this in in 1 Maccabees chapter 4. Now Maccabees is in the Apocrypha, it's the books that exist between the Old Testament and the New Testament that contains great history for us to know and see how the story goes together, but we don't necessarily consider it to be scripture, but this is what happens as he's standing in front of the people, the the, the opposing army is overwhelming, they they outnumber them two to one, and this is what he says to kind of rally the troops. But Judas said to those who were with him, do not fear their numbers or be afraid when they charge. Remember how our ancestors were saved at the Red Sea when Pharaoh with his forces pursued them. And now let us cry to heaven to see whether he will favor us and remember his covenant with our ancestors and crush this army before us today. Then all the Gentiles will know that there is one who redeems and saves Israel. So just as God redeemed his people from Egypt, so now Judas is saying maybe God will redeem us and set us free. And actually, this was the decisive turning point in the battle that led to a brief period of Jewish independence. Now, does anybody want to guess what village that battle took place next to? It's in our story. The village of Emmaus. Now that might have just been a coincidence, but as we've seen in the story, it's probably not. See, Cleopas's mind was made up. He was, Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel by defeating the Roman army. Just like Judas Maccabees delivered God's people from the Seleucid Empire, just like God redeemed his people from Egypt under the hand of Moses. He had no idea that the redemption that was actually brought about by Jesus was for a far greater enemy, sin, and even death itself. See, over those enemies, Jesus has now conquered and redeemed us so that we would never lose hope. So Jesus says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, Jesus goes full rabbi mode on them in this particular moment. And he begins to explain to them that the hidden secret about the Messiah that's actually all over the Old Testament scriptures is that the Christ had to suffer and then he would enter his glory. That Jesus had to live, he had to die, and he had to rise again in order to bring about this great salvation that the Messiah would bring. 
Jesus had to live because no one, not one man, had lived the life that God had commanded us to live. No one had fulfilled the righteous life that God instructed us in the law. None of us had obeyed God and believed that he is good and a rewarder of those who seek him earnestly. All of us had fallen into the same pattern of sin that Adam and Eve, our first father and mother, had fell into, who disbelieved the word of God and sought to be an authority unto themselves. We've all walked in that tragic legacy, but Jesus didn't. He came and he laid down the perfect human resume. The perfect life of righteousness that is required of all of us, but none of them, but none of us but him has actually done. And then Jesus had to die because he had to come and bear the justice of God toward rebels and lawbreakers, sinners like you and like me. See, sin isn't just dumb, it is that. It's also wrong. And it deserves justice or punishment. Jesus came as a man, a perfect man, but then took the punishment upon himself as a substitute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus didn't have to just live and die. He had to rise because death is an enemy that must be defeated, not made peace with. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, says the book of Romans. See, Jesus, as our champion, died in our place, but then defeated death because he was sinless himself. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. And so because of his life, we have a perfect resume credited to us by faith in him. Because of his death, our penalty has been paid in full because of him. Because of his resurrection, our victory is sure and we have hope. Do you see how his life, death, and resurrection is good news for you? And what is required of us? Not that we improve ourselves, but that we believe the message of the good news. We put our faith in what Jesus has done rather than what we have done. And the good news is that then God judges us on the basis of Jesus' resume rather than our own. That's incredible. That means that when we stand before the great judge, if we are in Christ in that moment, we don't have to bank on our own resume of good and bad. God doesn't judge us on the basis of whether our good somehow outweighs our bad. It probably doesn't. But rather in that incredible moment, God looks to the perfect life of Jesus and says, that's for you. We are righteous in him. That's incredible news. Meaning the essence of the gospel or Christianity is not improving ourselves and making ourselves squeaky clean before God, but acknowledging our, our failure, our sin before him, and trusting in Jesus to do what we can't do. See, Jesus taught them these things from the scriptures. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's shorthand for the entire Old Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus explained to these two, and then later on in, the, in the, room, the other room to the disciples, that the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets are actually all about him and what he would accomplish through his life and death and resurrection. That forgiveness of sins would now be proclaimed to all of the nations because of what he has done. All of the Bible is about Jesus. Did you know that? 
Even the things that aren't explicitly about him is the story leading to him. This has been the assumption that we've been going on as we've traveled through the Thread sermon series, that all of the Bible finds its fulfillment in Jesus and what he does through his life, death, and resurrection. I would describe this moment for Cleopas and then for the rest of the disciples at the end of the chapter like an aha moment that happens at the end of the movie Sixth Sense. You remember it? It came out in 1999. Some of you weren't even born. But you know what? It's been 24 years. Spoiler alert, he's dead. Bruce Willis's character in the movie is dead. See, it's, it's Bruce Willis who is a, a child psychologist who early on in the movie is shot by someone that he felt like he failed to help. And then it, a couple months later, we see his character interacting with this young boy who claims to be able to see and talk to dead people. You're like, this is not what I thought an Easter message was going. But let's hang with me for a second, okay? The movie goes on, and he's helping, and he's talking to this boy who sees dead people. And it's not until the end that Bruce Willis realizes he's actually dead. And rather than him helping this young boy through this traumatic thing, the boy is actually helping him with his unfinished business. Now, this is not biblical truth or gospel truth at all. Please don't take that. But really, there's only two different ways that you can watch the movie The Sixth Sense. The first time is where you are shocked at the big reveal at the end where you're like, he's dead. And then if you watch it again, you'll notice everything and can't believe that you didn't see it the first time. What Jesus is doing here with his disciples and with Cleopas and the other disciple is going through the Old Testament in a, in a thing that's very much like this, where they're like, I can't believe we didn't see it anymore. I can't believe we read all of these things and we didn't see him in plain sight that the Messiah would have to suffer like the suffering servant of Isaiah and the four songs there and rise. It all makes sense now. So that now when we read the Old Testament, we can't help but see all the things that they missed before. That's about Jesus. And that's about Jesus. And oh man, I would love to preach the whole Bible and show you how it's about Jesus, but it's Easter Sunday. Let's stick in Luke 20, 24. See, even though Jesus in this moment is helping them understand, and it says that their hearts burned within them, it wasn't until they sat down to eat that their eyes were opened, is it? Isn't it? It isn't until he breaks bread with them that they actually recognize who it is that made their heart burn within them. Something triggers their memory as he breaks the bread and he hands it to them. Well, probably the last time Jesus broke bread with them was the Last Supper. When he was explaining to them that his body must be broken and his blood must be shed so that they could receive his forgiveness. And they say to one another in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. So it's late at night. They convince Jesus to stay with them, but when they recognize it's Jesus and he takes off, they run the seven miles back because they can't help sharing this good news. Isn't it interesting, the emotional journey they went on from the beginning of the story to the end? From we had hoped to did not our hearts burn within us. What did they get? They got the gospel. 
They saw that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, resurrected before their very eyes. They realized that Jesus' great victory over sin was through his brutal death and his victorious resurrection. And through this, they regained the hope that they had lost. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel, turned into our hearts, burned within us, as we realized how he has redeemed Israel. And not just Israel, but all who would put their faith and trust in him. See, forgiveness of sins is now possible. Reconciliation with God is now possible. This is good news. There are so many things that we could talk about when it comes to the resurrection. But on this Easter morning, I want to focus in on just one of them. It is Jesus who gives us hope. Because of the resurrection, we need never to give in to despair. Jesus gives us hope. Why? Because he has conquered and overcome the grave. Jesus has achieved salvation on our behalf for all who call on his name in faith. Because his resurrection serves as a prototype for all of the resurrections in the future of those who put their faith in him. See, we live in a world that by and large has lost hope. No longer do we naively or optimistically think that the world is just getting better and better and better. So many people we know have succumbed to hopelessness, to loneliness, to anxiety, to cynicism. See, there were seasons where people were filled with endless optimism as they looked at the future. That humanity is simply on this upward trajectory. Give us enough time and education and technology and the world will get better and better and better. And what's happened? As our technology has increased, it hasn't led to greater and greater life. But we've become really good at inventing ways to destroy our humanity. Infinite opportunities to connect with one another has not led to deeper relationships, but rather more loneliness and less genuine human interaction. Advances in technology like weaponry has not led to anyone feeling safer, but rather nations that have arsenals that could wipe away our world as we know it many times over, now sitting there looking and staring at one another. Hurting, vindictive, mentally ill people with access to firearms that allow them to show up at elementary schools and take out kids. The more knowledge that we seem to gain, the less we believe that truth even exists. Or if it exists, we can't know it. We've replaced our naive optimism with a hopeless cynicism. But the Bible gives us a very different overarching story for our life. Did you know that? It's not naive to the plight of humanity or the darkness that we're capable of. No, story after story after story in it shows that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. We are not on an upward trajectory. But neither does the biblical story leave us with a hopeless cynicism. No, instead, we see the story turns when God actually enters into our brokenness. Light comes into the darkness. And though the darkness tries to overcome it, it cannot. The light wins. 
Light always pierces and overcomes darkness, not the other way around. And even though we killed Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, even that God uses to save and redeem us as he becomes our substitute, bearing the justice we, we deserve. And then Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, rises in victory so that we too are assured victory in him. Now, because of that, that story actually gives our lives hope that today isn't all there is and that your life doesn't actually have to get better in order to get better because one day it will. One day, Jesus, the risen victorious Jesus, will actually return and he will make all things new. And the things that he did that gave us glimpses of the final restoration, the healing the sick, the casting out of demons, the restoration of sight to the blind, even the silencing of natural disasters when he says, peace, be still, is but an appetizer or a foretaste of what he will do when he returns and he makes everything new, including you and me. You see, I live deeply in this reality that I am not what I want to be yet, and I bet you do too. You're not what you ought to be. But often, by the grace of God, you're not what you were. And your life doesn't have to get better and better and rosier and rosier because sometimes, frankly, it gets worse. But we know the end. And the end is filled with hope. And in the end, the Lamb overcomes. Jesus overcomes. And because of his victory, we are given victory. Now, how does this actually help you today? I was with a family about two weeks ago that buried a 32-year-old daughter, a sister, a cousin, a niece, a granddaughter, a mom, and a wife. The hope of Jesus' resurrection is that that funeral wasn't the end for her or us. What happens if all of your dreams in this life don't come true? What happens if you don't become who you want to become or if, or if you do but no one recognizes you for it? There's a greater story that actually gives meaning and purpose to your story. It's the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. It's the biblical story that we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of where Jesus has ascended to heaven and he is withholding his return so that all those who might believe and trust and bow their knee to him might do so so that they can receive his mercy and grace. But do not let his delay think, cause you to think that he is inactive or that he won't bring it about to an end someday. He will. And so today is your opportunity to believe. Today is your opportunity to celebrate in hope that even if things don't come together the way that you dream them now, that one day they will. Because Jesus is coming back. And the resurrection that we see is but a prototype of what God is going to do when he raises those who are in Christ with him. Amen? Jesus tells us, take heart, I have overcome the world. The resurrection of Jesus isn't the end of the story, but it does give us a glimpse of the end. Shortly after revealing himself to the women at the tomb and Cleopas and the other on the road and the disciples in the room, 
Jesus is taken up to heaven. He ascends to the Father as a victorious king, but he promises, I will come back soon. And in the meantime, he gives us his Holy Spirit to give us a glimpse, a taste, an appetizer of what is to come. And so now, actually, we, in this broken and hurting world, live as a beacon of hope to those around us. Not that everything turns out well, but that we know and we are grounded in hope. Does that mean a Christian never battles depression or anxiety, struggles with weariness? No, not at all. We are not immune to the afflictions of this world, but it does mean that we don't give in. And at the base of all of that is a confident assurance, a hope in Jesus who's alive. Brothers and sisters, as you go out into the world, as we take the celebration of Easter today and we connect it to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, live as people of hope. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word and for how in Jesus we have hope. I pray that we would declare that not obnoxiously, but that we would display it beautifully for all to see. That in this world, we don't have to get ours because Jesus has overcome the world and he will one day redeem it all, including us. God, I pray for the person who maybe came to this church service this morning and they've never put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. You're a vague concept or idea to them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that even in this moment as I pray, you would bring about a conviction of sin and eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus through faith. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.